Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 21st of February 2022. Not a lot to report in a sense. We're really all waiting to see whether there's conflict in the Ukraine or not. You find yourself, do I believe my own government? Do I believe the American information? Do I believe Vladimir Putin? I mean, I guess whatever happens, you know, if there's a provoked attack or an unprovoked attack or a pretend provoked attack, we're never going to really know the truth of it and everyone's going to call each other a liar. So in a world of kind of misinformation, which, you know, go back to Donald Trump, our own prime minister, the dynamics of that is actually really damaging, isn't it? If you really don't know what happens next, you find yourself questioning any information you're given and not believing anybody. And with that, if something real happens... I guess the market, well, will explode. We've got, I think, £10 in this market due to the conflict at the moment. If it definitely gets put on the back burner and a load of troops leave and it really does quieten down a bit, we will see a drop in prices. On the other hand, if someone, you know, gets a little skirmish going, all the newspapers will have a reporter nearby, you know, with pictures of someone being shot, probably, and off we go. And it'll go up 10 or 20 quid, I guess, or more. Who knows? Depends how big the conflict is and whose interpretation of how big it is and so on and so on. The dynamic of trying to trade around that is strange. I guess you just have to get on with your life and think about emptying your shed when it's convenient to empty your shed. Get paid kind of to suit your cash flow as opposed to waiting for, well, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for, I guess, an invasion so the price goes up. But that's kind of a little bit brutal in, in a humane way. So there's your background and trying to predict market values on a world that's effectively in reasonably good condition as we come out of winter into the spring, you know, certainly Europe, Russia, you know, the world is looking like it's going to produce a big crop, right? There's troubles in South America, there's troubles potentially in the States with dry weather, but underlyingly we have a market that is looking like it's going to have a reasonable growing season albeit we are still in the winter at the moment and you can't predict these things that's your caveat that's your background so whatever i say is kind of going to be irrelevant depending on politics that occur let's talk about old crop horsey rape six million pounds for as many tons as you like you know when you phone us up probably the price will have dropped from there but make the point because it just isn't there to trade new crop has touched 500 for harvest a couple of times it's 495 at the moment for immediate movement into our stores it's a good price i think in the short term as we come out of winter it might see a few more sellers creeping in i appreciate there's lots of reasons why the market can go up but you know as with anything there's lots of reasons why the market might go down and it's about your budget and bottom line everybody feed barley old crop slipped back a bit we'd pay 200x for april don't really want any in march we're sort of stuffed with it there isn't much feed barley around but there isn't much demand for feed barley so that's it's a bit of a stalemate my view is i don't think you should be messing around waiting for more money than 200 feed barley if you have old crop left so that's your call so looking at new crop feed barley prices currently about the same as last week it's about 160 for harvest movement feed barley 
Feed wheat is currently, we're not as aggressive as some. There's one or two people paying up a fair bit. I guess they're getting haulage rates to go north. Premiums for wheat up north are still pretty hefty. We're happily staying with wheat locally delivered. I appreciate that if someone can pay two or three pounds more, that sounds incredibly appealing. All I would say to you is ask them where it's going. If it is going to travel a very long way, be absolutely certain you haven't got bugs or any problems with it because a rejection up there, ergot or whatever they find in there is a very, very expensive experience. So selling it for one or two pounds more might seem like your local trade is an idiot and uh, you can feel all glib about your exceptionally good marketing skills but if you're rejected somewhere up in North Yorkshire and you have the, the haulies cost of 25-30 pound a ton then please firm me up so I can take the mickey out of you for being an idiot. In the meantime you know if you have the kit then by all means. So feed wheat for April 212x to a local home and less hassle. Yeah, it's about politics. Now, I think old crop prices are heavy. I think they will come off as we go towards the end of the season. At the very end of the season, if we have a late harvest, I've said this several weeks on the trot, it will go up again. You know, I, I see it trading above 200, but I don't, don't see it trading above 220. So we're kind of in the middle of that. Again, it's up to you to try and pick the time to move it to suit your cash flow, suit your workload and get it put to bed. New crop, 185 harvest. Yeah, it's it's stuck with the politics. That one should be lower with the crop development as it is. So I'll leave that with you, your thoughts. The cost of production, we're being told, there's obviously a meeting has been held where lots of farmers attended it and they were told that the cost of production is 175 because they're all sounding very much like they've done the sums themselves. And I'm not wholly convinced that's true because each farm is different. But let's say it's 170 to £175 pounds a tonne. The price you are being paid, assuming an average yield, is above it. You know, you're going to make a profit. I think the probability on the basis of the crop conditions at the moment and making the assumption you're going to use the right amount of nitrogen, I think we'll see a slightly greater yield and therefore a slightly greater return. And your cost of production, if you produce more tonnes, drops back a bit. So I think it's favourable in terms of locking into a profit. My instinct says... Just wait and see on this political thing. It's not going to suddenly have everyone withdrawing and the market cacks out in two seconds flat, but it will become clear at some point that he's not going to invade, or obviously he will have invaded, and at which point the market will go up quite dramatically. And I think that is the one thing you need to have a plan for. How much can the market take if there is a political movement and the funds who are betting on that as well? At what point will they take their profit? How much does the market go up? If my assumption there's £10 in the market because of the conflict at the moment or the potential of it, then how much more is there? Let's say we got November wheat futures at 220 I think I'll be selling the hell out of it. But depends, doesn't it? You know, if there is a full-blown knockdown, drag-out war going on, then I'm afraid 220 is going to be cheap because there's so much surplus grain from the Ukraine and Russia that supplies the world that, in fact, it'll be worth a lot more money than 220. So you need to have a plan to put some of it away as the price goes up. If you think there's going to be some form of agreement which stops the conflict and the market will then obviously drop down just as violently as it goes up. So it's difficult to plan, difficult to have any idea about that. It would represent for you assuming we're not dragged into a war here and we're being bombed everywhere, it would represent for you, the farmer, a very good profit. Without there being anyone killed, let's hope you have a very good profit anyway, shall we? That'd be a much nicer way to live your life. Anyway, with that, let's hope the weather keeps behaving itself after Storm Eunice has done its damage. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. 
Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728 978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. Right, this week Market Chat is another in-house. We're busy boys at the moment and getting out to do interviews is a bit difficult. I know a lot of you enjoy our in-house stuff. A lot of you probably think, oh my goodness, here we go again. But anyway, today I have with me Ben. Hello. Ian. Hello. And Josh. Hello. Right, okay. This week I have had the morning off and I'm feeling quite wayward, so watch out. Carbon. I want to start talking about carbon because everybody's jumping up and down on the bandwagon, inventing companies and telling, you know, do your carbon with us. So I'm a little nervous about peak farmers being well, the only people who've got the thing that can actually sequate carbon. And that is land, unless you own the sea, which the Queen owns some of that, didn't she? No, you're dead right. There, there must be so many opportunities. There. But Josh is... You're the, the best red of us. There is actually options. There is potential in the sea, quite a lot of potential in the sea. There's a company in Ireland. They essentially harvest seaweed, and they'll be harvesting. You can create seaweed farms in between the wind turbines offshore. Very, very, very interesting. And seaweed takes in a lot more CO2 than almost any other plant. Doing seaweed. Have we got any seaweed farmers out there? Because we are the world's greatest seaweed farmer traders. <laughs> but there aren't any. So the land that we're talking about, the thing that makes me nervous is you've got all agronomists owned by a large American company saying, you know, we're the experts. Their large organisation has also bought the soil testing, the carbon testing. It's called Soil, S-O-Y-L, isn't it? Yeah. There's a large company that owns that. That's... A bit of a giveaway which company that is. Then, okay, Soil. Yeah. <laughs> Point is that all of the data, it's all about data, as we all know, but we don't really understand what we're talking talking about and the dynamic of that is you've got the agronomists you've got everybody lined up in those organizations saying oh yeah you know we can offer you the world here's a five-year deal and it just smells of who's going to make lots and lots of money out of this yeah and i think also andrew hit nail on the head who's controlling your data so you could sign up for a fantastic deal with a large american company but never have access to your data and never understand what value that has got if you don't know what you've got Absolutely. That leads back to, you know, class combines. We'll know the data of everybody's combine. The individual farmer is obviously aware of what his yields are, basis, his kilo weights and his estimations. The yield maps and all of that, I guess, are all going back to a central hub. All of these machinery firms, is that being sold to big trading companies? That will be a thing. Back in 2011, there was a futures market set up for carbon, and it started doing quite well. Then the market got stitched up, and then it's gone completely dead up until about a year ago, where it was trading for 30-odd pounds a tonne or 30 euros a tonne. It's now about 100 euros a tonne, and it's going to allow big firms to essentially continue emitting carbon as long as they buy these carbon credits. But all that data that you're suggesting, yeah, the companies will have every single data for every single field in the UK and how much it equates. So on the back of that, you know, that information is absolutely vital and they're going to be aware of the dynamic. This is highlighting the ignorance of our business about the whole process at the moment. We're reading up as much as we can, but we don't have access to large data. We haven't got the money to go and say, here, our class, let us have the details of the UK crop basis, your yield maps. And we've got no hope in hell of trying to work out what carbon is actually physically being sequated, what's being spent. You know, we don't know where we're at with it. My instinct, my trading instinct is what I'm touching on here just for the podcast, that there's people saying sign up for five years. 
that might be the best deal at this moment. But you're telling me in yeah. five years' time, with you know Storm Eunice coming through tomorrow at 90 miles an hour, you know how many storms and terrible bits of weather are we going to get before carbon trading and the reality of global warming, etc., is going to become a bigger issue? Within five years, you're telling me that it's going to be a really good deal in five years' time? I don't Can't think so. That, Sign man. up for a year. I mean, you've got to be careful. There does seem to be quite a lot of greenwashing about... And at the end of the day, the carbon trading market, I mean, it still isn't fully regulated. There isn't a go-to organisation that is saying, right, this is how you measure carbon sequestration. Yeah, until we get that, I think there's something like 84 different tools on the internet where a farmer can put in his details. (laughs) But there's no standard, and there is no standard just yet coming. I think I listened to a podcast where people were suggesting at the moment it's a bit like the Wild West. But the point is that if you're selling stuff off now, in 10, 20, 30 years' time, probably every bit of food you eat, every company you trade with, everything you do, there's going to be a carbon rating against it. And they're going to be wanting to buy credits or certificates against it. So just be careful what you sign up to. As you said before, the mics went on it. Let's buy credits to keep polluting. Yeah. So that's what companies are going to do. Which firm gets the green light for their methods to be the one that's recognised as the actual process? Is it the one that bribes the government the most? Or is it the biggest company? Well, at the moment, it's an international standard. So there isn't one in the UK yet. You know, we just had the COP26, and was that even mentioned? No. No. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. You're right, Andrew. The carbon thing is looming, and it's big. But I think just be careful of the big numbers being thrown around early doors. This leads on to, you know, with our cooperative hat on, you know, we've got a group of farmers who we already got in a cooperative. Is it going to be something where you have a collective people that hold out so you can actually... So, no, actually, I don't want to make British Airways look like they're pretending to be green with their adverts by saying we've got all these carbon credits that we've paid for. Should we collectively, as doing grain, should we hold out? Are you thinking about a particular brand you'd like to back more than others? Well, we did go off on one just because this, the reason we're having this conversation is we had one of those conversations we wish we had caught on tape. But in a nutshell, if every company is out there, can you not pick the companies that you wish to support? Yeah. So we ended up so with, you know, you if, if the Alsham Grain Cooperative were able to hold out for the best deal and we selected who we wanted to be as our, our as, suitor, our yeah, as the party f- we're going to back. Yeah. yeah, what firm brought the most pleasure? I don't know. <laughs> Well, one suggestion was Ann Summers, we thought would be good. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, why not? That would be a really good thing to say, look, all of our carbon credits are going to the Ann Summers group, which brings a great deal of pleasure to our customers and their families. Does a rubber gimp mask produce a lot of carbon, (laughs) Ian? (laughs) Rubber and and, uh, plastic products are, in fact, you know, obviously quite uh, carbon negative aren't they so they're going to need a lot of acres to continue their good work they are using a lot less plastic in their packaging at the moment though (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm sure they are they use paper anyway the point is if we aligned ourselves with it it would be a good thing you're doing grain you know the carbon trading partner of ann summers we might get discount for goods you know maybe yeah. yeah, I have to say that's the most similar to our company is Ann Summers in the fashion world. So. <laughs> but I, um, I can, I can see the appeal of a sort of like collect of farmers working a sort of like co-op basis, basically. So I mean, also, I just went as way, and I was with a friend who's in shipping, and obviously, people are now talking about shipping and how bad that is the environment. All they 
you have to do actually to uh, become green is just improved by a percent a year which is nothing you know absolutely nothing and they're getting accredited for being greener and carbon efficient and so nonsense i think shipping fuel is still there's no biodiesel or bioethanol it's no. still pure raw oil being burnt to power ships exactly it? yeah there's a few there's high, some hybrid technology out there and i think bill gates is just building a hydrogen super yacht but that'll be a long way off yeah brilliant but, what just for him yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah the dilemma is the world's dilemma is or the reality is that there is no real carbon savings now you, you talked about greenwashing that something incensed me the other day the mcdonald's advert on television was saying about how the plastic tops were being made into kiddies play areas 80 percent of litter is mcdonald's isn't it it appears if you go out it's got to be your favorite restaurant isn't it ian yeah actually on that so there's a new mcdonald's like in chroma so there's nothing in north norfolk that apart from well nothing north of norwich till recently the amount of mcdonald's wrappers and stuff on the beach and everywhere is crazy yeah, they should be forced to print the number plate on every single thing that gets... Uh, Agreed, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or some form of identification, you know, the last four digits of someone's card or something. So you narrow it down and you can then... Or even the date and the last four digits of the card. So you can see who bought that on their little cardless moment. And it goes, ah, it was, you know, that bloke. Can put it back through his letterbox or something. Yeah. Or fine him or just go, you should eat more healthily, sir. Actually, me and Webby went to McDonald's yesterday... <laughs> Yeah. And, we, and did you manage to throw your litter out the window, Ian? <laughs> well, we felt, we felt obliged to, didn't we? That's what yeah, yeah. people do. So it's, it doesn't. It is part of the pleasure, apparently. So we just yeah, hold it out. <laughs> McDonald's very conveniently located next to one of our stores, isn't there? Very much so. Yeah, one of our future stores at South Pickenham has got the Swaff and McDonald's there. So yeah, we popped in and had a two main courses. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's two thousand five hundred calories per burger. Honestly, wow! I was really surprised at that. Not like me to cut down. Now, Joe very kindly brought some beers and he said one of his mates had bought him some beers, didn't he? So should we crack open the ones that he's brought in? Yeah. Um, what have we got? We got... The only thing that's slightly off-putting is looking at the front of this can. Although it looks very cool, it says the word vegan on the front. Does it? Vegan haze. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> almost got me in the face. Right. Okay, so vi- what is that? It says Viking. Is it, I can read, isn't it? Viking, not vegan. No. Viking no, brewing. Yeah, Viking Vegan Haze. Let's have it gives the can, Ben. Hang on. So, okay. Okay, Family Founders. It is Founders of the Viking Brewery, the original Gaelic form of Higginson. Okay, well, there's where's, another Where's it from? Hang on, it's, it's Bayfield, I think, because I've got another Bayfield one. Bayfield Holt. Viking Invader, this one's called. And it's um, got malty barley wheat, hops and yeast. The grain is Marisotta. The hops are Challenger and Goldings. And it's from... Bayfield Bricks up near Holt. What is um? So I might be really naive in this comment, but what is there in beer that isn't vegan friendly? The filtration system at the end. Sometimes they can use animal products. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So it's um just for filtering. So it's got obviously got no. Yeah, so findings, fish findings, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So I've what have I just had? I've just had the can. What's that? The Viking. Vegan yeah, so what's Andrew drinking? Oh, um, Viking Invader. Invading. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, totally drinkable. Just, yeah. Is it? Have you tried yours? Yes. Is it nice? Yes. Is yours nice? Maybe I'm just having yeah. an off day. I had a cup of tea a little while ago, maybe. I don't know. Not so sure. I'm, I'm sorry, Viking, but... <clears throat> I tried them both yesterday, and I will be abstaining this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. That isn't. That's okay, but I'm not loving it. Can't put a finger on you. Well, no, I didn't give myself a full glass, did I? We've drunk a lot worse on the podcast. Yeah, but we're normally enthusiastic, aren't we? So, yeah. But Josh came out with some beers <coughs> last Friday from Chromer, and he put a 10 centre on my desk, and that was undrinkable. That's but, not that's high right. on my list. That was okay, but it's not like, you know, and that, and your one looks a bit dodged, doesn't it? It just tastes like a normal lager. What do you think of the can, then? I like the can. It will sell well on the <coughs> shelf, because it actually looks it's quite good branding. You reckon? I suppose that's half the battle, isn't it? Mm, I'm not sure about that Viking myself. He looks a bit like a bloke with a stuck-on beard, as opposed to a real one. Anyway, Joe, thank you very much. Obviously, very kind of you to bring those beers in. I suspect you didn't like them yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, moving on, let's face it, Mr Putin, in, out, in, out, shake it all about. He tells everyone he's leaving. Seems to me like the West is telling everybody everything they know instantly, just to make him not get away with the... I don't know, but they're they're sort of... Do we believe our own government? No, obviously not, Boris. Do we believe the information we're getting... No, no we, so do we believe him? There's so much conflicting, even the spin coming out of Ukraine and out of the Russians. I mean, we've heard three back and forward stories today, just on its own. One minute, I think it was you, you, the Ukrainians sending missiles. Yeah, there was a Russian-backed rebels sort of start, and then the Ukrainians started shelling them at one point, and that was about 10 o'clock on Reuters this morning. And then now Russia, the theory behind it is then the Ukrainians will provoke the Russians, and then it will be the, the Ukrainians who start something. But again, how, who's meant but to then know? the market's cooled down this afternoon. It seems like a risk-off moment. It's done its thing. You know, oh, we've got weeks of this, haven't we? I think surely <laughs> it's going to be. So I was mildly. I listened to the Radio Four in the morning, the Today program, and Nick Robinson asking the Russian ambassador, who was very derisory about the West and about how we're talking, you know, we're talking rubbish. And he said, "Well, you know, are you setting up? You know, you're doing your exercises and you're telling us that you're leaving. But you know, why would you put up hospitals and you know blood banks?" down there if you're just having exercises you know he was very irritating actually it would be nice if they did invade to get his version of how you know oh oh i didn't realize we were going to invade we were just having exercises and then someone threw a stone at us so we thought we'd nuke them it was kind of you know it is irritating isn't it it's very easy to be irritated with other countries unfortunately if you're a racist i suppose (laughs) most people in norfolk but I must admit, to me, I think at this moment, my feeling right now is he will go in. I think he will. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't. I think he's taken too long. Well, I think, you know, it's been going on for so long. There's so many weapons now in the Ukraine. I just think it'd be a disaster for Putin. I think he'll just keep... I think Webby's right. I think it'll just keep going for months and months and months. I think he's going to test the West resolve. If I was a Russian trooper yeah. and I'd spent the winter in a tent, crapping in a ditch eating rubbish bit, yeah. food and then I was told right it's all off boys let's all go home have a few weeks off in your back here to be living in a tent again there's a moment when their morale is going to start going hang on a minute this, this I guy, agree this guy's yeah. really beginning to you know he's bugging me I don't want to spend my life down here I've got my kids my wife my family whatever in another part of Russia and here I sit and he's in a muddy know, why didn't he make us come down here in the summer when it was vaguely warm like go <clears> swimming <throat> in the Black Sea He's got a problem with morale for 130,000 fighting men. Are you going to keep them calm? Are they going to fight amongst themselves? Bad enough North Walsham Rugby Club on a Saturday night, let alone actually fully trained troops, isn't it? Well, and squaddies around Aldershot, you know, they get notoriously <coughs> in trouble. Yeah. People are picking yeah. fights on them because they're trying to see how hard they are. We're talking about people who geared up who might be being shot at next week, and there's 130,000 of them. The morale of those boys is just as important to Putin as anything. Yeah. I think he'll go in. I think he'll do something. He can't not do something. Oh, we'll see. see. What's that going to do to the value of UK wheat, then? 
if he goes in, the price of everything will go up, won't it? The last story was a 20% rise in values since the invasion of the Crimea, wasn't it? I didn't look at what price it started at. 20% rally from <coughs> here would be 40-odd quid. That's the market was 190 on the North Futures. is now 200. So there's a 5% rise already on the basis of the threat of it. Yeah. So 15% on top of that possibly would take it up to 225 230 would we at that point sell the crazy hell out of it yeah probably we would but then if it really escalates that's going to be cheap because 29 percent of the world's we export is from the ukraine russia and 16 percent of corn so no it's all to play for you you couldn't to make a trading decision in amongst all of this i kind of wish we were fast forward by two months so i could just unload the may futures i got short of so i didn't have have any more margin calls just you know that would be handy we're going to be playing this game for a little while longer but they tell us that if the land stops being freezing he isn't able to be quite so dynamic in his invasion plan there's not many things that can stop a tank really i know everyone says oh frozen ground's always good for them but pretty sure a muddy field doesn't stop a tank either if he wants to go in He'll just go in. And the other thing is, obviously, there was a headline saying that the Russians might take the export tax off wheat. So, you know, that's another thing to play, isn't it? That was a rumour this morning, so I don't know whether that's true or not. To me, if they said that, then the market would cack. Yeah, but what about sanctions, though? I mean, if anything does kick off, they're not going to be exporting any wheat anyway, are they? Yeah, but look who's buying Russian wheat. Syria, North Korea, China. These people aren't exactly... Global fair players, are they, Ian? Yeah, true. (laughs) Okay, gents, we've discovered that we're basically living in the dark on carbon. Other people are well ahead of us, but, you know, there's an instinct saying, don't rush in, I think there's a better day, and I think farmers really, you need to wake up to everybody being particularly nice to you on that subject is a very clear indication that you've got something of fantastic value as we head into a world where everyone, including Ann Summers, is going to need to have some sort of carbon-neutral way to enable themselves to trade. So if you can just hang on long enough for us to negotiate discount and uh, align with that particular product, I think that would be a good plan. And as far as Mr Putin's concerned, what is it that short, bald, fat, 60-year-old men need? A war in Ukraine, obviously. (laughs) Anyway, with that, gents, thanks for your time this afternoon and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.